Thanks for tuning in to Mamosas this week with Talia and me, Kristen. We have a great episode this week with my friend Jill, who's a speech pathologist. She gives us some great insight on children and speech and answers a few listener questions. We also get to hear about her life as a mom, as well as advocating for herself when she had a prolapse. The internet gave us a little bit of trouble as we recorded this episode, so some of the audio is not the best. We did the best we could with editing and hope you will stick with us for all the great information in the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Mamosas. Hope you have your friends and your drinks nearby. You're here with Kristen. And Talia. And we have a super fun guest today. We have my friend Jill, who is a speech pathologist, and she's also a mom of one beast that's about Finley's age. (laughs) True story. (laughs) So we're going to ask you a bunch of mom questions, but first, can you just give us a little background on your qualifications as a speech pathologist? What makes you relevant? (laughs) Okay, so I have my master's degree in speech pathology from Emerson College from 2009. And then I've been working as a preschool speech pathologist in a public school since 2009. And I also hold my ASHA certification. So that's the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Um, I have a Massachusetts state license, and then I have a Massachusetts Department of Education license as well, because they like to take all your money. So seems reasonable. Yeah. And so is there a difference between a speech pathologist and a speech therapist? No, they're the same thing. So it sounds like you are extremely qualified to answer some of the questions that we will have about speech and young children. So tell us about your adjustment going from no kids to one kid. Um, it was a lot. Uh, nobody tells you what is going to happen. Um, you know, I just think back now sitting out like baby showers or things like that. And it seems, oh, it's so happy. It's so great. What a wonderful thing. And like, you're just thinking that that person doesn't even know what they're in for, but you (laughs) you can't tell them. There's no way to (laughs) warn people. I feel like they're not going to believe you. First of all, and second of all, it's just why why bother? They'll they'll realize it eventually. Right. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, you guys had been together for like almost fifteen years before you had Marin. Um, two thousand three, thirteen. Yep, like thirteen, fourteen years. Yeah. So yeah, and we thought we were in the no no kid camp, and oh. then oh really. Yeah. I mean, even the week before I told my mother-in-law and Matt siblings, they, you know, were talking about us being like, I don't think they're ever going to have kids. Yeah. And then we dropped that, that bombshell. Um, Proved you wrong, haters. Yeah. <laughs> was your plan to not have kids or was it just something that you hadn't given it much thought or? I mean, it just never seemed like the right time for anything like that. So um, we obviously we don't regret it. She's awesome. She is a lot of work, but um, we're <laughs> glad we have her. But yeah, nobody nobody tells you. You can't, I don't think you can be prepared for it. And you did get a tough first kid. Like, I feel like you should know that because you don't have one to compare it to. <laughs> she is a tough first kid. She is definitely a beast. So did you guys feel like you had a pretty good foundation before 
Because, you know, sometimes, like, Pat and I were married for, like, four minutes before we were like, all right, let's have a baby. (laughs) And it was fine for us. Like, we had a good enough foundation. But sometimes you do have to be together for a while to have that foundation. Because it's crazy when you're not sleeping. So, I think, like, you, we would come into this room, our bedroom, and, like, three hours later, you leave, and it's just, like, what just happened? Right. I don't know what I just did with my time. The kid is still not asleep. What just happened? Right. Um, so, no, it was it was good that we waited. I don't, I couldn't have seen us having a kid any younger or yeah. before any- this. So, what about your birth story? We like to ask everyone about their birth story. So, what would you like to share about that? She she came at 37 weeks and a few days. I forget what. Um, but my husband had a bachelor party to go to. And like for the month of July, I was like, I don't I don't think you're going to get to go. I don't I don't know. I don't think you're going to go. He's like, well, whatever. So the day before the bachelor party, um, I went into labor in the middle of the night. So he did you. not get to go to his bachelor party. Take that bachelor party. Yeah. Um <laughs> It was probably good he didn't go anyways because it was like an hour and a half away and yeah, uh, yeah. you know it would have been a whole thing. Well, and you had texted me that night about something asking about contractions, and I woke up the next morning and I was like, "What's the deal? Are you in the hospital? <laughs> Are you in labor?" <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So I think I showed up at the hospital and um, at like. 3 30 in the morning and they checked i was like six centimeters already oh wow um yeah yeah and then i did i did do an epidural which slowed things down but i am glad i got one because it was like night and day after you get one yeah um you know going from like just extreme pain to like oh i'm gonna sit and hang out now so this is great did you scream at the nurses no, they were sh- they were surprised at how calm I was for how far along I was. Yeah, <laughs> um, they kept saying that. So no, I didn't scream at anyone. They took like twenty pokes in my arms to get the IVs in. Matt's, Matt's over there going, "Oh, I'm like, stop it! I don't want to look. I don't want to hear about it. Just let them do their thing. Stop making noises. You're making he this couldn't worse. Handle it. I never understand yeah. why they don't just like after the first poke, just bring in the ringer." Like, I remember when I got an IV placed, and the nurse was like, if I don't get it in, I'll get the person who always gets it in. And I'm like, just get her now. Why are we even having a conversation? Get her now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was fun. So she came. She was sunny side up, too. So um, she made that a bit more challenging, you know, at the get go. So she was she was a Um, from uh, birth. Yes. Yes, she was. Um, But thankfully, like there was no tearing or anything. So that was good. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I had other things fall out. So, you know, (laughs) it all evens out. Yeah. So then so no tearing and then your recovery was not too bad. No, no, it was definitely. um it was okay. It was fine. Once they shoved everything back in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it didn't fall out right away. So I had a, pro- I have a prolapse. Um, yeah. So it did, did PT and all that stuff. And everything is good now. So. And did they say why that happened? Well, I think it happened like probably four months postpartum. I noticed it. And it was probably due to um, I had a really bad cough. 
Oh, right. So uh, when your muscles are already weakened, you know, they're, they're not healed at that point. Yeah. And then you put all that external, uh, the internal pressure on it. Things are going to move. Mm-hmm. So how did you know to go to a doctor? Like that probably feels like a dumb question if you've experienced it, but I haven't. So how do you know? Like, yeah, that's coming out of me. Definitely time to go in. Yeah, there's just there was pressure and um, just it was really uncomfortable. So I went and got it checked. And the doctor said, Oh, it's not that bad. It happens to everyone. But then I contacted I went through a midwife. And I contacted her because I've read about pelvic, pelvic floor therapy. And I said, you know, do you have someone you could recommend for me? So she she shipped me off to someone who was wonderful and really helped a lot. So I think everybody should go regardless of whether or not you have a prolapse it just makes a huge difference in learning how to heal heal your body and heal those yeah. muscles because after six weeks they say you're yeah. good to go go run a marathon have fun yeah forget about you yeah. next yeah it's fine it's normal to have things hang out of your and body pee yourself so. all the time exactly it's fine it's it's to be expected so yeah you should definitely if you feel any symptoms and you're not getting answers from your doctor, still pursue it. Yeah, so. that's good advice. So uh, how does Marin sleep? I know that this is a great question for you. Uh, she was, she is up and down with her sleep. So she has been great until about, I want to say like a week and a half ago. She was sleeping like 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., 7 or 8 a.m. Great sleeper. Still sleeps 12 hours a night, but she has been really difficult to get down to sleep last night she was up until 11 which was terrible um Ooh. but usually it's like between 8 39 okay. that she'll go to sleep and you leave her in there and she'll just stand up and cry for however long she wants to do that yeah. for it's just she is she's a beast i feel like it's harder when they're at this age and they're screaming to just let them because they're so loud and so insistent they're so loud and then she she bangs up against the side of the crib and shakes the whole house i had to pull that out from the wall because she she was doing that you hear like things clunk on the floor she takes her babies and whips them the other night she was like a like a prisoner like running her cup along the rails of the um crib she had her baby running them up and down the crib she is just she is she is something yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> nate used to do that with his binky he would run it back and forth across the side of his crib at like four months old i was like this kid already is acting like a prisoner oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's off and he used to run his teeth along it and i couldn't figure out what the noise was because we didn't have the we didn't have the video monitor and i was like is someone doing construction next to his room? Like, what's happening? But it was like he was running his teeth along the rails. It's disgusting. How do you even do that? Uh, uh, it was real gross. Yeah, we had to get the we got the crib protector yeah. cover. So she because she started chewing on the rails. So this has made uh, a big difference. We did finally get that for him too. But I mean, there's very prominent like track marks all around <laughs> the crib. <laughs> so gross. How does that even feel good? I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine it does. Sounds no, terrible. No. Okay, so we do have some speech questions for you because we don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm going to start with one that I have actually texted you about probably for seven months. Um, so when we first moved here, you'll probably remember that I told you Nate started stuttering. Yes. And I would ask you some questions about it. You would ask me questions and you said, you know, obviously go to a doctor if you're concerned, but it sounds like it's normal and it'll pass. 
how do you know or how can a parent kind of know like okay this is just a normal developmental stutter a normal age for a stutter and how or like this is concerning I definitely need to like see a specialist about this. So in preschool at this age, you know, two, three years old, um, a lot of kids will go through periods of disfluency. It's just their language is developing so rapidly. Um, they may have more to say that they can get out than what they're capable of saying. So you're going to you're going to see those bumps in their speech. Things I always keep an eye on is, you know, how long has it been happening for? Does it come and go? If it's been happening consistently for six months or longer, then you, that's something you'd want to bring up, you know, to your pediatrician or get them screened by a speech pathologist. Um, you know, if they're just repeating um, some phrases or some whole words before they, they get out their words, then that's probably something that's pretty typical. But if you're noticing them starting to block, if they're starting to do eye blinking or they're starting to kind of grope around with their mouth, um, those are some concerning signs. So you would want to get them checked out too. But like I said, a lot of kids are going to go through this period of disfluency. And, you know, as long as they're easy and they're still able to get their message out, you know, it's some, probably something that'll end up passing. And you're also going to see it ebb and flow. So you might spike for maybe a week and then it'll go away. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you might notice it again. So the biggie is if it's consistently happening for six months or longer, then you'd want to get it checked out. Yeah, we mostly saw it in times of stress and in developmental spurts, which like 100% of the time I can tell when he's going through a developmental spurt. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely makes sense too. Or if they're really tired, if they're, you know, dragging their feet or whatever, and they're having a tough time getting their words out too, that's when you might notice it as well. Um, but what you want to do is, you know, just maintain eye contact. Don't finish their sentences for them. I think mm-hmm. that's really important. And it's hard to do. Um, and especially if you have other kids in your house and they, their language is higher than you know, your kid's language, they might want to try to finish their sentences um, and things like that. So you just want to give them the time to get out what they want to say without interrupting them. Okay. And then, you know, if, if it is a chaotic house, if you have two or three other kids or whatever, and you, you can't give them that time, just give them some personal time, you know, before bed or um, in the morning to let them talk and, you know, have the floor with you. So they, okay. they feel like they have time to say what they want to say. And what about, so sometimes when he would do it, we would say, okay, take a breath. There's no rush. We're listening to you. Like, is that interrupting and slowing him down or is that like an okay way to let him know like hey we're here we're not going anywhere yeah I think that's okay to do and you don't really want to draw too much attention to it so you know if they are really rushing through I think that's fine to do but overall you know don't really draw too much attention to it um okay that makes sense yeah I don't know if this will fall under your realm just because you work more with like preschoolers but when kids are first developing their language, that like 18, 20 month, I mean, 18 month, two year range. So kind of where we are now with our kids. Yeah. Is there a way to help them when they're in that scream phase and they're pointing like they want water and they're just screaming and pointing at it and you're saying <laughs> water, 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 please say water. Is there a way to help them or like, yeah, just give in and give the screaming kid the water? Well, you know, can they say water? Can they say those words? If they don't have those words, you're obviously you want to keep modeling it for him or, you know, if he says water, finally, yep, you want the water and then get it for them. But I think it's it's tough because they're learning their language. They might not even have the words to do it yet. 
and also screaming and doing things like that have always gotten gotten what they needed. So yeah, obviously they're going to default to the behavior that works easier for them um, and knows know that it worked. Um, but yeah, modeling it, expanding on their sentences, that's a big one too. Um, you know, if they say water, I want water, but don't expect them to say that. Okay. So you're just telling them what the progression would be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to give them the model? You want to give them, you know, you're playing with cars. He's a car. Oh yeah. Red car, drive car, fast car, slow car, car goes, car stops. Um, so yeah. Modeling language is, is the biggest thing you can do for your kiddos. That's really good to know. I did not know that. Yes. Knowledge bomb drop. Yeah. Well, I that actually, I have a couple of questions for you. So I was talking to my husband last night. So our daughter had tons of delays, developmental delays. The only delay she actually doesn't have is a cognitive delay. But so she didn't start talking until she was probably close to three like mm-hmm. actually like talking and and I'm just saying like words and and short phrases. So you could see the frustration for her because she knew what she wanted to say, but she didn't have the ability and when she did talk you couldn't understand anything. And she had sign language really good. She we taught her sign language very I think she was signing a decent like a lot by two and then by that age she was really able to get by and that was kind of her default sort of mechanism you know like how finley does the point scream sky would sign but then she oh that's great yeah so she but she was getting very frustrated because you know we would say like you know and she's been seeing a speech therapist since she was about probably two and a half she started seeing a speech therapist so we were talking last night my husband and i were talking and i said do you have any questions and and he kind of his overall question was what is the normal child speech development because we have heard so many different things and I know that's Uh a big broad question but um, I know so many people Chris and I have talked about this all the time you know a kid turns 18 months and all of a sudden like we've heard so many moms like freak out oh my god they're not they're not talking they need speech therapy like at what like what is that normal progression for uh, kids and what parents should be looking for yeah, well, and it's, it's, there's so many different aspects to speech and language. So there's the articulation piece, being able to understand them, they might have the language, but, you know, their sounds are still developing, or, um, you know, their understanding of language as well. So there's kind of, it's a big broad thing. I know, sorry. But by 18 <laughs> months, you definitely, no, that's fine. Um, but by 18 months, you'd want to see them, you know, definitely using a vocabulary using single words, things like that, repeating words that you've said. Um, you know, I had someone at work come up to me and ask me about this and without seeing their kid, you know, it was hard to tell, but, um, a lot of states have early intervention. So Mm -hmm. you can call most of these. I don't know how it works in all the states in Massachusetts. Early intervention is a free service available from birth to three. Um, and they will come out and do an evaluation on your kiddo to determine, um, you know, if they need services or not, and they would provide that in the home. So because it's a free service, sometimes parents are a little iffy to want to call them, but I think they're definitely a great resource, especially if you become really concerned about your kiddo. Um, And then talking with your pediatrician as well is a big, a big thing to do um, too. And they can then make that referral to early intervention. Um, Yeah, it's just tough because at this age too, development is so broad you know Mm -hmm. by five you know playing field levels out but at starting at 
you know, a year, you've got some kids who start to really develop their motor skills and, you know, are taking off with walking and climbing and their speech kind of goes, it kind of plateaus. You've got other kids whose speech really blossoms and grows, but, you know, maybe their motor skills are lagging. So they can only handle so much at a time. So you're going to see those spikes and those peaks and those plateaus in different areas. So like, for instance, my daughter took off with her motor skills. Even as a speech pathologist, my husband took her um, to the doctor at 15 months. I was like, can you can you just ask about language? Because she had a couple words, but, you know, I was expecting a little bit more um, speech pathologist mom problems. But <laughs> I had a math. So, I, you know, she was working on her motor skills. So her language, you know, is kind of getting, it'll come eventually. So that's why they say it's, it, you know, don't compare your kids, don't compare to other kids, because everybody's working on something different at that point. That's a good thing to acknowledge. I think a lot of times moms, you know, you're in a mom circle or whatever, and if y'all have kids the same age, and they're all doing different things. But I think it's, I, I think a lot of people do tend to compare, you know, well, what's your kid doing? My kid's not doing that. You know, oh, gosh, yeah. is there a problem? And it's super hard not to. Because what else do you have for a barometer? Well, and even here, like, even when you have your own kids and you compare them and they're, you know, they're completely different animals. It's really hard. But at that 18 months, you know, you definitely want to see them be using some words um, and maybe starting to go, maybe combine some words. But, you know, definitely something to talk to your pediatrician about. Talk to, you know, if you're feeling really concerned, call early intervention. Um, They're a great resource, so. And how do you contact early intervention? We went to the pediatrician and they gave us the resources. But I think that's what you were going to say too. Yep. So that's how you would know. Or, I mean, you can Google in your area what, you know, what organizations are in your area. I'm sure they have a referral phone number there too to call. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then if your kiddo, so early intervention in Massachusetts, it's different in all states, but we're birth to three. And then the referral is made to the public schools. So if your kid is three or older, um, you can always give the public schools a call too. They can take a peek at your kids too. Okay. And I think I heard here in California that you just go to the district, like you go to the district office or something and contact them. Yeah. 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 Okay. But they're a great resource too. They can do screenings. They can do evaluations. Yeah. Well, and then like, so for us, so Sky had tried, uh, so our early intervention in uh, Ventura was called Tri-Counties. And then when she hit three, then we got transferred over to the school district. And then because she does qualify for speech and occupational therapy and physical therapy, she got what's called an IEP or an individualized educational plan. And then she has goals. And so people come to our house or um, we go to the clinics and she works with people on those different goals. And she's actually I mean, she's going to be four in March. She has grown leaps and bounds in this last time, nine months for her speech. Because she was, like I said, relying a lot on sign language or she was getting really frustrated because we couldn't understand her. And she knew exactly what she wanted. And it was just, it was heartbreaking because she would have full on fits over the fact that we couldn't understand her. Yeah, that's great that she has those supports. You know, if you're concerned, early intervention, public schools are a really great resource and talking to your pediatrician. Yeah. So you work with all different kinds of kiddos with different speech needs. Is that? Yes. So I have kiddos that just need help with a few sounds to, I have kiddos who are nonverbal on the autism spectrum. So So, I see it all. So we were at a point where we had a 
non basically nonverbal child. And then she started talking, but then she needed help with that pronunciation. So what what would you say is the most helpful thing for kids who need help with those pronunciations versus the kids that are just not talking? So do you mean like what what would therapy look like or yeah. how to address that? Yeah. So a lot of I mean, at this age too, it's a whole song and dance. Like, mm-hmm. like you need to you're putting on a one woman show because to get them engaged and interested in what you're doing. But for the kiddos who are, you know, learning to talk and learning to use their words, learning to use their language, um, it's a lot of play-based therapy. You want to trick them into thinking that it's not work. You're just having fun and you're playing and play is the most important thing for preschoolers and toddlers to do. I mean, that's the way that they learn about their environment and build those cognitive skills. So a lot of that would be play therapy and just, you know, building in, Um, routines or expectations through that, being able to follow directions while you're driving cars around, you know, requesting what color blocks do you want, Um, making them go up, up, up and knock them down. So working on different vocabulary words that way. When working on articulation, you can still work on it through play, but really you're going to see the most progress through kind of a lot of drilling, um, you know, getting them to repeat a lot of words um, Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. And then it depends on sort of what the cause of their speech delay is. Is it, you know, they're just having difficulty with a few sounds. Are there sound patterns? So it's called a phonological disorder where, you know, it's it's maybe they're not hearing the sounds right. And so they need a lot of support for that. So yeah, so it, it varies. I have kiddos where we go in and we play and then I have kiddos sit down and we, you know, practice a little, saying a lot of words at the same time. I've seen the progression for Sky. It started with a lot of play-based therapy, and now it's a lot of those drilling sounds. But it's so. Here's another question, and this is totally specific to my kid. So she had no S sound. She wasn't saying the S sound at all, especially at the end of words, which is Mm -hmm. what I've learned one of the most common sounds. So it's an important sound to have. But now she's overusing it. So according to the speech therapist. So is that just one of those situations where because we have drilled it so hard of like that, making that S nice and long, she's doing a great job following directions and following that model. And now we kind of have to get her to scale it back. Like, what would you recommend? Yeah, no, that happened. I had a kid who we would work on like words with S and another consonant. So like snow and smell. Mm-hmm. And we worked on it and she got so good at it. And then we're walking down the hallway and our, our um, mascot at my school is a panda. And so she sees a panda on the wall and she goes, it's a panda. Like, oh my goodness, that was a great S sound, but that's not when we say it. So yeah, it definitely happens. It gets overgeneralized and, um, you know, she'll, okay. she'll get it. She'll figure it out. Um, yeah. But the fact that she can make it now and do it is a good thing as opposed to leaving it out all the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we just, you know, we do a lot of point to our mouth, look at my mouth, say the sound, you try it. Here it is again. You try it. Okay. Moving on, you know, to and try to keep it fun for her, but it does now get to a point where we were trying to get her to talk. So it was tons of play, tons of me and my husband, you know, when we were at home modeling that speech and now it's like, okay, we really are trying to work on her pronunciation and So as a speech therapist, I always, you know, as a teacher, I can always relate to this too. Uh, But my question is, what do you find the most challenging? What to you is the most challenging part of your job? Paperwork aspect of it. 
you know, you just want to have fun and do right by the kids and make sure they're making their progress. But then you also have this layer of paperwork that you're always stuck behind. So that can be challenging being able to balance all that. Working with parents can be tricky too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's usually not the kids and it's usually not their progress. It's more, you know, making sure you're make, um, meeting the paperwork demands and then, um, you know, making sure you're supporting the parents in the right way. Do you have a harder time with the neurotic parents like me who are constantly coming in asking questions or the, the disengaged parents who you're saying like, here's the homework you have to do and they're not doing it? Ooh, good question. Well, because you get, get the parents who want their kids to qualify and want all these services, but really their kids are developmentally appropriate. Um, so that's really hard. So they're challenging in that way. Engaged ones, at least, you know, they're challenging as well, but at least, you know, you can do right by them at school. Um, it's yeah. just difficult when you're battling against whatever happens at home, you know, and then to have them come back to school and you teach them all these skills and they go home and you don't really know what they go home to. So that can be challenging. My opposite question was, what was, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Um, most rewarding is just seeing their progress. I mean, I'll have kiddos come in from early intervention at three who have no language, who can't talk to anyone else, um, you know, have those behaviors because they can't communicate. And then by the time they leave us in kindergarten, when they're five, it's, it's amazing to see them be able to talk and have conversations. Just, it's crazy to see their development in such a short period of time. And then the last question, and this was something Kristen kind of touched on. What are some things that parents that you've seen parents do that in their minds, they think are encouraging, but they're actually the opposite of that. And they might be not supporting their child and their development with speech. Do you ever see anything um, like that where you go, oh, I know you're trying to do something good, but that doesn't really help. That's actually making it worse. So in terms of speech sounds, there's such a range of development and you're going to hear preschoolers who sound like they're, you know, from Boston with their Boston accents because they can't say <laughs> R's and L's um, and just parents kind of freaking out about that. And that's, it's normal and it's okay. Um, or trying to get them to repeat sounds and they still say it over and over again the wrong way. And, you know, just you can back off and leave them alone. They'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to sound like Bostonians for the rest of their lives unless they are from Boston. <laughs> it always reminds me of the Friends episode where Phoebe and Joey are learning French. I think Phoebe's teaching Joey French and she'll like say something and then he says something that sounds ex- nothing like what she's saying. <laughs> and then yeah. she like... And then he, but he thinks he's saying it. So it's basically, is that kind of what it is that like, you're saying, say this. And they're like, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just at that point in time, they can't make those sounds and that's okay. And then another biggie is like the number one complaint I hear from parents is my kid can't tell me anything about their day at school and that's okay. And that's normal because they're three, four and five year olds. So they're going to remember they ate snack or they did nothing. And I don't want to talk about it right now because I want to go play. You know, parents will drill their kids with questions. And a big thing to remember is, you know, making more comments than asking questions because mm. your kids are going to get sick of you asking questions and they're not going to want to answer you. So A, it's good to have a good relationship with school. It's important to have really good homeschool communication so you know about their day so you can ask them more directed questions or just make comments about their day versus asking them the general what'd you do at school 
So like, what did you have for lunch versus how was school today? Yeah. Or, um, you know, oh, look, it says that you played with Timmy and Susie um, in the sand table today. That sounds like so much fun. Did you dig in the sand or did you put it in a bucket? Things like that. So just making it more directed because they're not going to tell you anything about their day. Yeah. Um, They're just not. (laughs) Yeah. And just remembering not to ask them so many questions like during play or reading a book. What's that? What's that? What's that? Said commenting. Oh, look, I see a dog. The dog is running. I see a tree. The tree has leaves. What do you see? So making sure you're making lots of comments to give them lots of modeling versus asking them. What's this? What's this? What's this? Because again, you're probably not going to get much from them. And they probably don't know. And they might not know. Yeah. So. Well, and that's just such an exhaust. Like if you think about as an adult, just being asked the same question over and over and over again. I mean, it would be exhausting and annoying. It is exhausting. We are in the why phase right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I find that like to change it up, like if I'm making a comment, I would say 75% more likely to get engagement with Sky than if I ask a question. Like if I say, ooh, look at that green tree, she'll usually come in with, there's a squirrel in the tree, as opposed to me going, what's in the tree? You know, her going, a squirrel, you know, or whatever. Like I think it's, and that's how we speak anyway, like as, as adults, like I'm not constantly asking people questions and expecting answers. I say a statement and somebody comes in with another statement and we're having a conversation. Exactly. It feels much more natural. Yeah. We had to get on my father-in-law about finishing her sentences. That was like a big beef of mine. And I know you mentioned that earlier when talking about the stuttering and trying to get it out and how frustrating it is to just sit there with a kid and let them spit it out. But I yes. mean, to get on him all the time, don't finish her sentences. Let Even if it takes 10 minutes for her to get it out, just let her do it. And I'm always like, where are we going anyway? Who cares? Let's yeah. just let you finish your sentence. Where's the fire? But that's like, that's kind of the world we live in. It's always let's go, 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 go. But you got to take a step back for the little ones and let them do their thing. That's right. Okay, so I think it's time for our little end of the podcast questions, but we'll keep them brief today because you've given us a ton of your time. Which we appreciate. So what is something hilarious or ridiculous that Marin has done in the last week or so? Like just something that you're like, I have to tell people about this. It's really funny or horrific or whatever. Oh, she she's obsessed with babies. And she likes to look at her reflection in the window and laugh and say, baby. So I don't know if she realizes that's her or not, or if she thinks there is a baby in the window, but that's pretty cute. That's very cute. And then what, what I actually, this is going to be a hilarious question because I know that you like, don't super go on social media, but you like secretly kind of do. What media are you consuming? So like social media, books, movies, shows, I think you had mentioned a show the other day that you're really into. Oh, I recently watched a Pete Holmes stand up. On HBO. It was so <laughs> funny. It was peeing my pants. Um, he has a whole skit on Elon Musk going to the bathroom. So I mean, <laughs> that was, it was really good. You should watch it. That sounds great. Are you reading any books currently? No, books, book reading has gone way down. Yeah. <laughs> Morale is and, low in the book department. And podcasts besides Mamosas. You're not really a podcast person, right? No, I've, I've tried I try to listen to them in the car and then you can't hear them and then it ends up really loud and I, it hurts my ears. It's a whole thing. So we haven't been doing podcasts. I, I go on Reddit a lot. Oh, okay. right. 
yeah, so that's that's my extent of media consumption currently. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for thanks for chatting with us and letting us drill you about speech. I know a lot of the listeners will be really appreciative to hear this because I think we all get a little like nobody really knows speech therapists. So it's kind of like, what am I supposed to do? Do I believe my doctor? Do I not? Everyone in California has their kid in speech therapy by the age of two. Yeah, I don't know. So it's a whole it's a whole different world out there. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for taking for the time to with chat us. with us. And you guys can find us on social media at Mamosa's Podcast, Instagram, Facebook. Hit us up. Bye. Bye. I'm <laughs> sorry.